It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. We're wrapping up our latest off-the-road interview feature today. You can hear everyone we've spoken with so far on our HPR mobile app and at our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Just look for the Off the Road banner on the front page. And that includes part one with music legend Peter Frampton. After a diagnosis of IBM, inclusion body myositis, a degenerative muscle disease, Peter launched what he called his finale tour, which was interrupted by the pandemic. He's also shared stories from his life in the recent memoir, Do You Feel Like I Do? And we continue with a story from that now, as Peter explains how he became connected to the Beatles' George Harrison. So Terry Doran was first John Lennon's personal assistant, then he was George's. And I became friends with him, so we'd always meet up in the ship, which was along Wardour Street. So this time, he goes, you want to meet, uh, I forget his code name now, but... <laughs> <laughs> but he said, do you want to meet so-and-so? I said, who? He said, George, George Harrison. I said, oh, my God, is he here? He said, well, he's in Trident Studios. He's just down the road. So he said, you want to come? I said, you kidding me? So we walked down Water Street, turned right into the little alley where Trident Studios is. And when you walk into Trident, the control room is upstairs. Downstairs is the studio live room. I walked in the control room and I looked to my left and there's George standing behind the console. <laughs> and he just looked up and he said, hello, Pete. And I looked behind me because I thought maybe Pete Townsend had walked in behind me. You just don't think a Beatle will know who you are, you know? Right. So he came over, we're talking and I'm shaking at this point. And he goes, uh, <laughs> so uh, Pete, do you want to play? I said, uh, uh, now? <laughs> and he says, yeah, I'll show you the chords. I said, uh, oh, okay. So he takes me downstairs, hands me this very famous red Les Paul called Lucy. At that point, no one knew what it was. It was 1970, 71 then. But he's showing me the chords. I'm so fixated on watching him show me the chords. I don't realize that Stephen Stills is sitting to my left. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I first met Stills as well. So we're sitting together doing these guitar parts. He's playing rhythm. George shows me the chords. He counts it down. And we're doing this song for Doris Troy, the first production that George had done for the Apple label, the Beatles label. And I knew Doris because she'd sung on Shine On, on Humble Pies record. And so anyways, I start playing rhythm very quietly because I figure I got Stephen Stills and George Harrison. I'm just going to be inconspicuous here. And we get halfway through the track, if that, and George stops his no, Pete, I want you to play lead. I, I, I mean, I thought the floor would open up and I'd disappear at that point, you know. So I ended up playing all the lead parts on Doris Troy's first single from that album called Ain't That Cute. And George did a slide solo in it as well. So we we're both playing together. That was probably one of the most incredible days of my life. And all these luminaries are in the studio. And I got sort of invited to be part of this uh, who's who session band of George's. I played on the rest of the Ain't That Cute album. So I played on about five or six, seven <laughs> tracks on it. He invited me back straight away. So I felt like, wow, I passed the audition. So that was the, uh, the first time. And then, of course, he called me back. George calls. He would always call himself a few weeks later. And he said, um, Pete, I'm doing my own solo record. 
um, <laughs> would you come and play some acoustic? I said, uh, I'll be right there. And uh, <laughs> so I ended up playing on about five of the tracks with the rest of the band and met Pete Drake, the steel player from Nashville. Who introduced you to the talk box. Yeah, right there in Abbey Road, demonstrating it to me and George. And that's when I had to go start looking for one for myself. But I think the most special time for me with George was, well, there's more than one, but during the making of All Things Must Pass, he calls me back up again and he says, look, Phil Spector is uh, producing. And, you know, we had two drummers, two piano players, two bass players, you know, just like the wall of sound. (laughs) And it sounded like that, you know, it was phenomenal. And I've always thought of him as a killer producer. Pause for laugh. Okay. And um, (laughs) (laughs) um, anyway, so George calls me up and says he wants more acoustics. So it's just me and George sitting on two stools facing Phil Spector behind the glass. We're overdubbing on all the ones I played on. I overdubbed with George acoustic on just about everything that has acoustics on. And I don't remember what I'm not playing on, to be honest. So that was the most special moment for me, just the two of us. And in between takes, we jam. It doesn't get better than that. No, it doesn't. You have so many stories, it's a little ridiculous. Do I have time for one more? Go ahead. Go I appreciate ahead. it. And I'll give you your choice. Either we can go with uh, Bill Wyman and the Stones starting you off with the ready, steady, go thing, or the other one would be the Stephen Ford, son of Gerald Ford. Oh, we're just chatting, you know, as you put it in the book. Which <laughs> which one do you enjoy the most? Come what on. was the first one? <laughs> uh, Bill Wyman. Oh, yeah, that's because there's some humor there. Uh, not that there wasn't with... Uh, with Stephen Ford, but Bill was introduced to the Rolling Stones by the drummer who was in the band at the time, Tony Chapman. And then Tony was replaced by Charlie. So Bill felt indebted to Tony for obvious reasons and said, look, if you get a band together, I'll help you I'll produce it and help manage it and all that. So anyway, I'm working in a, in a music shop in Beckenham where I was born South London, and all the local big musicians would come in and I'd sell them strings and sticks. And just on a Saturday, this was when I was very young. So uh, Tony Chapman comes in, he goes, uh, I've heard you're a pretty good player. He said, would you join this band, semi-pro band I'm doing? And it was with all these luminaries from fantastic local bands. And I said, wow, yeah. I said, but I can only do Fridays and Saturdays. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still at school, you know, I'm 14. He says, okay, all right. Next thing I know, we're in a van and we're picking up Bill Wyman in Penge, which is where he lived. This is the time of 19th nervous breakdown. And Bill, we've left the front seat for him. It's this horrible Austin van, horrible, (laughs) with all the gear in it. He gets in the front seat and Tony's driving. So they're talking and we're just like looking at each other in the band in the back and going, we've got a Rolling Stone in the front seat. You know, it was, <laughs> it was so wild, you know. And so anyway, we get up to the studio and we cut this single, but then the Stones took over uh, Ready, Steady, Go, which was our live music show of the time. It was Top of the Pops, You Mind, and then <laughs> Ready, Steady, Go, You Played Live. And they renamed it for one week, Ready, Steady, Stones, which, of course, they called Ready, Steady, Stoned. Um, <laughs> so they each get a band to choose. Bill obviously chose us because he had invested in us. 
we do our thing in the show. And then I watched the Stones for the very first time do Satisfaction. Um, it was a history-making show, but it was the only show that was pre-taped. It was still live, live music, live to tape, but because of the availability of the Stones and all the artists on the show. So Michael Lindsay Hogg was the American director, and um, he invited all the artists up to his office to watch the show after we'd finished taping it. So I'm this diminutive 14-year-old <laughs> standing, and Mick Jagger's on one side of me, Keith Richards is the other, and they're watching me play guitar on this TV show. Again, I, I just couldn't believe this was happening, you know. So that was the first time I was in a room with all the Stones, and uh, I've known them most of my life, you know. The first of many, and people got to get the book to read about some of the other stories. That's a good a good uh, teaser right there. <laughs> do you feel like I do the memoir from, from Peter Frampton? And man, I know you've told these stories a gazillion times, but I certainly hope that you had fun joining us today as a part of our Off the Road series. This was great, yeah. Absolutely. And just as I let you go, my GM at this radio station actually has a funny connection to you. He was a senior in high school working for his high school newspaper in Puerto Rico when you played the big Coliseum there around 1980 or so. Yes. And the newspaper had mentioned the hotel you were staying in. He called the hotel asking for you to try to do an interview with you, and they put him through to your room. And he was like, hey, Peter, it's Jose Fajardo from the Pirate Times calling. And you just went, click. (laughs) (laughs) So it really was a little connection, but I just had to throw it in there. Tell him I'm so sorry. (laughs) Man, I love talking to you. I'm rooting for a lot of success. I know. But just stay safe. I'm very sensitive to what you're going through, and I'd give you a gentle hug and send you lots of aloha. I'm serious, brother. You're very nice. Thank you so much, Dave. Feel the love. People are rooting for you. Thank you so much, and I look forward to speaking to you in April. Nice. When your next album is due. I'll talk to you then. All right. Godspeed, my friend. You too. Bye-bye.